Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. God, in this moment of worship, Lord, we confess that as we sing those words, that there are times in our lives where we don't live up to them. God, we're where sometimes we endeavor to build our lives on things that are not as trustworthy as you and your word, that sometimes we are satisfied to be filled by the things of this world rather than the things of, of God, but yet we also confess to you, God, that we know that you are gracious and kind and long-suffering and that you pursue your people, you pursue your bride. And so we ask, God, in the, in the singing of those great songs of the reminder that you have done great things and that we can build our life upon you and your word. Lord, we, we ask now that as we open the word of God that you would search us, that you would sift us, that you would find us eager uh, to lean into the text of God's word this morning and that you would make us, make us more like Jesus in the hearing of this great word. We ask it in his name. Amen. Psalm chapter 25, Psalm chapter 25, good morning and welcome back to Summer in the Psalms. This is Summer in the Psalms 3.0. Since arriving at North Roanoke some time ago, we've spent two other summers in the Psalms and today we're going to look at Psalm 25. We did Psalm 24 over the live stream two Palm Sundays ago if I remember correctly. It was, it was me and a camera, uh, I think, and like six other people, and it was kind of strange, but I tried to preach just as, as passionately as I would with people in front of me, but I got to tell you, to see people and see your faces is pretty awesome. Yeah, so thanks for coming. Please keep coming back, because um, I'm going to do this whether anybody's going to listen or not, but it's much better when, when people are here. Um, Psalm 25 is, is where we're going to resume our Summer in the Psalms series. And I, as, we, as you turn there, I want to remind you that Davidic Psalms, Psalms of which it is said that they are of David, which, of which Psalm 25 is one, uh, are important. They're all important, but it's important to note that it's of David because in the New Testament, when Davidic Psalms are referenced, the apostolic writers assume that the readers will hear the words of David also as the words of the Messiah. Which means it is significant that Psalm 25 is a Davidic psalm. It means that the psalm will show us not just something about Israel and the worship in Israel, but it will show us something about Jesus and those who have life in the Messiah. And this particular psalm is written in the form of of an acrostic. It follows the Hebrew alphabet. If it was in English, it would follow, verse 1 would be begin with A, and verse 2 would begin with B, and verse 3 would begin with C, and so on. And so, I've titled this morning's message, because while I'm going to read the whole psalm, we're just going to really dive in and focus on verses 1 through 3. I'm calling this 
message the ABCs of Psalm 25. Because it's the, the first three verses, which begin with the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? We'll, we'll read the entire psalm uh, of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he, him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will Pluck my feet out of the net, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. That last verse, verse 22, does not begin with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The alphabet ends in verse 21, and in verse 22 it starts with a random letter. That's significant but we'll get there next week. For today, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 25, David's in a, in a difficult spot. Enemies are, are mentioned throughout the psalm, at the beginning of the psalm, and at the end of the psalm, he, he mentions these enemies that he's facing. And we know David faced enemies during his rise to be Israel's king and after he became king. You can think of the assaults of King Saul against him. You can think of the assaults even within his own family opposing him. And so on the one hand, it, it seems that, that David's enemies are perhaps people actively opposing him as he leads them. He's surrounded by people who want to see him fail, who want to see him fall. 
people all around him who were lurking and scheming and striving to rise to power on their own and to mislead God's people. They want an I told you so moment of victory over David who has been selected by God because if they can conquer David, it will appear as though God also has been conquered. That he made a wrong decision somehow. On the other hand, David in verses 7 and 11 and 18 speaks of of his sins and the need of God's pardon and forgiveness. Sin is, is also an enemy, is it not? It's an enemy that Verse 17, enlarges the troubles of our hearts. It interrupts the fellowship with the Lord that we so desperately need in order to stay the course when we're faced with enemies who want to separate us from the love of God and His purpose and His mission in the world. Psalm 25 then, it applies really in both directions. Outward enemies and inward enemies. Unconfessed sin leaves us vulnerable to Satan's schemes and his attacks. But a right relationship with the Lord gives us confidence, even in the face of enemy attack. Gives us confidence that no matter how strong and how loud our enemies may seem, how determined they may be, our enemies will not prevail because our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the Lord God Almighty who stands over all. That, in the shell of a nut, is today's sermon. But let's dive a little deeper into verses 1 through 3. The first thing I want you to see is when we face the attack of our enemies, sin, selfishness, the wiles of Satan, when we face enemies, the first thing that this psalm shows us we must do, and we just sang that we would do it, is we must place our hope in the Lord. The world is filled with other places for us to place our hope that will fail us. They say, come on, just join the other team. And the reality is the quickest way to not have enemies in the world is to just change sides and stop following the Lord. Stop trusting in the Lord and just accept the world's story. That it's all about you. That freedom is not found in living in accordance with God's design, but freedom is found in doing whatever our sinful flesh wants. In your marriage, there's some this morning that you know the Lord has called you to honor your covenant of marriage and empty yourself for the sake of your spouse, for the glory of God and the good of your marriage. But there's enemies in your home. There's enemies in your mind that are whispering lies to your soul, saying you deserve better. You've just grown apart. You just need your space. You just need a little more time to wait and focus on yourself rather than to give yourself to your spouse. And then some of you are right at the brink of finally stepping up and living for your marriage in God's way, no matter what it costs, no matter how hard it is, you're about ready to do it. And then the enemy attacks and he brings lies right back into your mind and your heart. You see some show or some commercial or some friend comes and says, oh, you just need to ignore your knucklehead husband and move on. Enemies are lurking and they attack. In your parenting, the Lord, you know it as a, as a parent of a young child and a teenager. You know that God wants you to invest God's Word in your kids' lives and in their minds and in their hearts from the 
from the earliest possible age, and you know God wants them to be meaningfully involved in a local church. But sure enough, the first time you bring your child to church, you bring them to student ministry or kids ministry, guess what? Something goes wrong. You take them to preschool and they soil themselves and you forgot to have a change of clothes and so we're just not going to go back to church anymore. You take them to student ministry for the first time and some person from high school who's a knucklehead calls them a name and they feel embarrassed or maybe it was just not the most amazing experience they ever had in their life and so you check out and you don't go to church and you take the excuse that the enemy gives you Rather than staying the course and having the hard conversations with your kids about life in a broken world and setting the course and setting the pattern and getting them involved in a local church and getting God's word deep into their hearts. In those moments, the enemy wants to win and you've got a choice. You can listen to the lies and to the excuses or you can set your hope on God. And you can keep on parenting and great-grandparenting and great-great-grandparenting for the glory of God and the eternal good of our children, not by evaluating what you're going to do with your kid by one bad experience at church, but by staying the course for the glory of God. Stop listening to the lies of the enemies in a, in enemy and embracing the easy excuses to check out of what God has entrusted to you. In your young singleness, you know that fighting a war for holiness in your life today will pay extreme dividends later. Whether the Lord leads you to marry or for you to serve Him in singleness. So when temptation comes to your life in the area of purity today, the question is, where is your hope? Is it in a five-minute thrill or in eternity with God? So how does David begin? He begins at the A, letter A of Psalm 25. He begins with these words. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In a world where everything is competing for my soul, God, I give my soul to you. I entrust it to your care. I seek my satisfaction and my identity and my value and my protection and my worth and my eternity in you. This is the ultimate defense against the attack of the enemies. It is to lift our souls not to ourselves, not to anything else other than the one true God. This is the exact opposite of the pattern of behavior of the idolater in Psalm 24, 4, who lifts his soul to vain idols or to worthless lies. We are not going to lift our soul to the lives of the world, to the false stories of the world. You do you. You just believe in yourself. We're going to run from those lies and we're going to run to the Savior. We're going to lift our soul to the Lord God Almighty. In the face of pressure to quit living for the Lord and to settle for immediate gratification rather than the enduring satisfaction of knowing God and belonging to Him. David then adds this in verse 2, the, the B of Psalm 25. Oh my God, I trust in You. God, I trust in You. 
to trust in something, is to place our confidence in it. David does not trust in his intellect, his title, his position, his selection as king, his armies, his finances. The world can threaten to take his life. They can promise him an even better existence in the world on the world's terms, but he refuses. Why? Because his confidence is otherworldly. My confidence can't be found here. It's found in the living Lord of the universe. It's in God. And it's not just in any God. Do you see that? Oh my God. In you I trust. Is God your God? Do you know this God? This God who is holy and beautiful and perfect and who designed a great and wonderful and beautiful world and sin messed everything up and it sent us into separation and brokenness from the loving presence of God and He sent His Son to be sin for you that He might be raised on the third day so that you could know this God and that He could be your God. It's not some abstract hope out there somewhere, God up there, God in here by the power of the Holy Spirit, God in you, my God, I trust you. These aren't the words of a confused or a distracted soul. They are the words of intentionality. David wakes up and he faces his enemies and he says, To you, Lord, I lift my soul. My God, I will place my trust in you. In a world that is telling us daily, even minute by minute, to lift our souls up to other things, to our work, to our spouse, to our kids, to my physique, to my physical fitness, to my money, to my status, or anything else that is incapable of satisfying me. God, I lift my soul to the only, only one who can satisfy and save. God, in you I place my trust. So this morning, to the distracted and divided soul, to the one who walked in that was weary this morning, and you were trying to make your soul satisfy all these other things, just remember to put all your eggs in the Lord's basket. Fully identify your life with the Lord who alone can satisfy. In a world filled with enemies who would love to see you fall, set your hope on the Lord God alone, for He never fails. Secondly, we see in the second two lines of verse 2, we must take our enemies seriously. We must take our enemies seriously. First, we must set our hope on God, and second, we must take our enemies seriously. Far too often, it seems Christians downplay or ignore the realities of spiritual warfare. We, we underestimate how much Satan wants to take you out. We underestimate how much Satan and his henchmen hate the Lord and they hate his people. We underestimate how much our enemies want us to fail so that God could be seen as a failure. As we saw in Hebrews, saving faith is enduring faith. Those who are truly saved will truly endure to the end. And when we trust in Jesus, the enemy moves from trying to keep us from trusting Him to then exposing our faith as a sham. The enemy wants you to not endure. He wants you to not make it. 
This is true for individuals and it's even true for churches. I, I suspect Satan loves it when we participate in gossip and call it just catching up. I, I suspect Satan loves it when we grumble and complain about every change that occurs in the life of the church. I suspect that he loves it when those supposedly saved by grace show absolutely no grace toward other people. I'm sure Satan loves using a pandemic to lead others to lead us rather to question the motives or the intelligence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sure Satan loves trying to turn a local church inward rather than outward. That that uh, Satan loves to rob churches of their passion to do whatever it takes to surrender whatever is necessary so that more might know this great God in whom they can place their trust. He loves leading people to accept and even embrace ideas and ideologies that are far from Christ-like in the name of being nice and kind and accepting. But we can't just embrace the narratives of the world as though Jesus didn't need to come and die. He died for homosexuality. He died for divorce. He died for transgenderism. He died for lying and stealing and cheating. He had to die for those things. So when the world says those things aren't sin anymore, we can't agree with the world because then we're denying the very purpose for which Jesus came. You can't say, I love Jesus, but do whatever you want. It's fine. It doesn't go together. What does Jesus think of that? But it's reality, church. We are under pressure in commercials and in the workplace, in the world, to sign our souls away for things that we don't believe. We've got to take our enemy seriously. And what we read in the last two lines of verse 2 is that David recognizes the threat posed by his enemies. He takes them deadly seriously. And do you see his plea with the Lord? Let me not be put to shame. God, let me stand. Let not my enemies exult or rejoice over me. His enemies abound. They they want him to forget the Lord and to find his hope and identity in the things of the world. And the same is true for us. They, They want us to compromise with the world and to join the world in opposing God. They want us to compromise on God's truth. And if we won't join them, they will shame us, verse 2. In our country right now, cancel culture abounds. If you stand for Jesus, you will be deplatformed. If you stand for Jesus, you will be demonized. If you stand for Jesus, you will be disinvited. You will be lampooned. You will be fired or perhaps worse. The pressure is coming against those who stand for Jesus in our country and it is intensifying by the day. To those in our church who are retired, I have a special request for you. I want to beg you this morning to pray for those who are still working. They are going to have to make stands and choices that you never faced in your career. Will you pray for them? Will you pray for these young men and women? For the world that they're going to face? 
Or will you just leave them to themselves and consider it to be, that's their problem? Are these our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are the young people that God is bringing to North Roanoke Baptist Church, will we intercede for them, for those who are going to high school and colleges and universities and professional schools that are telling them that they've got to, to, to have a profession, that they've got to deny their God? Will you stand with them in prayer? Church, if it's, if it's relatively easy for you to be a Christian, you might want to ask yourself why. The Bible's picture of the Christian life is not an easy life, it's a challenging and difficult one. Are you living a life that Satan would want to attack or hinder? Are you you meddling in his territory? Are you taking the gospel into the dark places of the world? Because Satan doesn't like that. Are you striving to be selfless in a selfish world for the glory of Christ and the good of others? If you are, I promise you, you will face enemy attack and opposition. But praise God, we can cry out to God knowing that it is deadly serious. And we can know that He hears our prayer. So David prays that his enemies would not succeed, not because he wants an easy life, but because he knows the enemies are not only opposing him, but also the Lord God Almighty. He prays that he would not be put to shame, that his enemies could not gloat over him as though the Lord had failed him and his faith had been in vain. He pleads with the Lord to defend him, that he might stay faithful under enemy attack. And thirdly, we see in verse 3 that he has confidence in the Lord and he waits for the Lord. Another way that we could say this principle this morning is we've got to have an eternal perspective in the midst of our present trouble. I don't know what you brought in this morning. I don't know what challenge you're facing I don't know what is tempting you to give up on God and to go the way of the world, but the only way you can overcome it is if you will have an eternal perspective in the presence of in the middle of the present trouble. Eternity is going to last a whole lot longer than whatever your temptation you're facing right now. Go with God. In verse 3, David has confidence that the Lord will answer his pleas from verse 2. He doesn't plea as though the Lord won't answer his prayer. He knows that God will answer his prayer. Do you see it in verse 3? None who wait for you will be put to shame. Verse 2, don't let them put me to shame. Verse 3, none who wait for you will be put to shame. The real shame that David wishes to avoid is not the temporary shaming of his enemies, but the everlasting shame that would come from abandoning God and his mission. Sure, his enemies might seem to win for a moment, but David is playing the the long game. It might look like he's losing today, but his trust is in the Lord who holds forever in his hands. He understands that he might face momentary shame as he trusts the Lord and does his will in God's way, but he is confident that on the day that the Lord comes to judge the quick and the dead, that he will not be ashamed. 1 John one twenty eight captures this truth. John writes, Little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Verse 3 confirms for us that David's goal is not popularity in the eyes of the world, but faithfulness in the eyes of God. 
If that is our posture, church, we will do what pleases the Lord and we will wait on His vindication even if the process is painful, unpopular, and filled with problems along the way that could be avoided by caving in or giving up or kicking the can down the road. The word wait here in verse 3 occurs again in verse 5 and verse 21. Did you know that trusting in the Lord means waiting on Him? You can't separate the two. Your enemies tell you that everything happens has to happen today. If my marriage isn't fixed today, I'm done. I know what God says about marriage and intimacy, but I'm reversing the order because I've got to have intimacy now. I know that there's no such thing as a perfect church, but my church isn't perfect, so I'm going to find another one. We live in such a microwave culture. Just put your microwave meal in the microwave oven and you got it in 30 seconds. But to trust in God is to wait on Him. Your enemies don't want you to wait on the Lord. They want you to fritter your time away on Facebook. They want you to do everything other than have an eternal perspective with God-glorifying passions that will be rewarded when He returns on the last day. The enemy wants you chasing the next high until you die so that you will never lift your soul to the one who is higher and greater than all other things. But David, he understands the enemy's game. And so must we. We know the only way our enemies could win is if they could separate us from hoping in the Lord. If they could lead us to living lives that are, do you see it in verse 3, wantonly treacherous? To be wantonly treacherous is to be intentionally deceitful. It's to live as though we can trick God into thinking that we're faithful while we're really not. Anybody ever been there? Man, you're living... Monday to Saturday, you're, you're, you're living so far from God. You're, you're enjoying the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life. But then you come in on Sunday with a big smile and you might even have an offering envelope in your, in your pocket. But your heart is far from God. David understands that those who are wantonly treacherous will face the shame of God on the last day. And of course, David was a sinner. He tells us so in the rest of the psalm. So his hope is not just in the Lord, but in the Lord who would make a way to forgive his sin. His words in verses 1 through 3 remind us that there's a better king who faced death and temptation directly from Satan in the wilderness for 40 days without food or drink. And on that last day when Satan tempted him, Jesus overcame the enemy. His words remind us of the the mocking and the beating and the laughing of Jesus' enemies as He set His face like a flint toward Jerusalem for the joy set before Him. Can you imagine the enemy attack that Jesus faced on the way to the cross? And yet He faced the cross with joy? What joy? The joy of obeying the Lord His Father 
in securing our forgiveness and salvation for all who would trust in His atoning sacrifice. Church, left to ourselves, we would be hopeless. But God didn't leave us to ourselves. He sent Jesus on a rescue mission. He sent Jesus for the deceitful and the wantonly treacherous, those who've been trying to play games with God. He sent Jesus down to give you a new heart and a new desire to set your affections on God and lift your soul to God and to wait on God and to have an eternal perspective. David would sin, but the king who would come in his line would not. He would live a sinless life so that He could substitute His life in your place and His perfect life could count for you and His death could be the death you deserve to die and His resurrection life could be the power by which you live for God today. Jesus did not just face cancel culture and remain faithful. He faced the cross. He took on flesh so that He could enter human death and reverse it. So that the Lord of life could enter our humanity, experience our death, and become our hope in both life and death. How did He do it? He did it in the power of the Spirit, looking to eternity and entrusting His soul to His Father, believing that He would raise Him from the dead. He waited perfectly on His Father. And because of the perfect obedience and trust of Jesus in the Father, we can have a share in His victory if we will turn from our wanton treacherousness, our sin. If we will trust in Christ and if we will live in the power of the Holy Spirit as we place our hope in the Lord, as we take our enemies seriously, and as we maintain an eternal perspective in a time of present trouble. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, such a simple message with profound implications. Lord, we recognize today that we're surrounded by enemies, enemies within and enemies without. We recognize that the death and resurrection of Jesus means Satan is conquered. He's defeated. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can trust in You, we can wait on You, and we can have an eternal perspective in our present trouble. And we pray, God, that You would help us to do that. And Lord, finally, if there's anyone here who doesn't know You, if there's anyone here who needs a church family, to spur them on to love and good deeds and to keep waiting on the Lord. God, I pray that you would give them the liberty to come as we sing this final song and as we magnify the Savior who is our only hope in life and death. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.